0: Hello and thank you for joining the New Life Baptist Church podcast. It is such a privilege to be able to share God's Word with you through this platform. And it's our desire that you would have an open heart to receive what the Lord has for you through this message. If you'd like to contact us, please visit our website at newlifecasagrande.com. There you'll find contact information to reach us directly, or if you're local to the Casa Grande area, you'll find information to plan your first visit. If you benefit from this sermon, please share it with a friend or feel free to leave a review. Now, let's get ready to hear what God has for us today. How many of you have
1: something to be thankful about today? Say amen. I I, I do. I have so much uh, to be thankful about this morning. I'm thankful that Jesus Christ died upon the cross. I'm thankful that he rose again. I'm thankful that he left the Holy Spirit for you and for me to be able to walk this life. I'm thankful that he uh, ordained the local church to be the messenger for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm thankful today that I know for sure that if I die, I have an eternity in heaven. I hope that you are thankful this morning. I am thankful for New Life Baptist Church. I'm thankful for eight years. And uh, it's just been amazing to see God work and how he is growing his church, how he's growing individuals within the body, and uh, how he's growing me. And I'm so thankful uh, for his goodness to us. Eight years ago on this particular weekend, My phone keeps blowing up with pictures uh, from the last eight years. It's been crazy to watch. Uh, I got to see uh, what the auditorium looked like on our first anniversary. And were you guys? No, you were the second anniversary, and uh, I, I I just couldn't remember. There, are just so many great, uh, just memories of different people who came at different times throughout uh, the years here at New Life Baptist Church. I am thankful this morning for the team that God has assembled uh, here at New Life. I'm thankful. Uh, for the different parts that he has brought to the table, the different um, gifts that are available to his people, it is just amazing, and uh, so so thankful. I, I'm thankful for who God's made us. Um, I'm thankful for the identity uh, that New Life Baptist Church has, and that that God has settled us in uh, to who we're going to be. Uh, I'm thankful for an amazing wife. Uh, who is the lifeblood behind a lot of what happens here uh, in this place. And too often it does go without saying. Uh, She is not in the room right now because she's taking care of things. And I'm just so grateful for her and uh, for her keeping me on my toes and keeping me sharp. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for amazing deacons. Can we have any of our, I guess two of them in here, but Greg Greg will be here for the second service. Uh, Our two deacons in the room right now is Josh McIntyre. And uh, if you're new here at New Life and don't know that, Josh is the shorter one of the two, and he's got more hair. And and yeah, and then there's Tim, and he has less hair. He's our other deacon, and Jessica, his wife, is right here, and in the in the white there with the glasses on top of her head. And uh, so uh, they are just amazing servants. Greg and Tony Phillips are uh, the deacon that attends, the third deacon, and he attends our second service. And I'm just so thankful for this team of servants. I do believe that beyond all else, they do exemplify. The word deacon, the kanos, servant, Uh, they're not yes men, they are servants, and I'm grateful for that. They are encouragers, as the Bible says. The Word of God says in Acts chapter 6, full of the Holy Ghost, led of the Spirit. And I'm grateful uh, for the part that they play here at New Life Baptist Church. Um, I'm thankful for uh, the leadership that God has brought to New Life. Tyler and Olivia have been uh, just, again, words can't describe uh, the right hand that they've been to me and the counterpart that they make to our ministry. Uh, both of them are just absolutely amazing. And I praise the Lord uh, for their faithfulness and how hard they work to serve here at New Life Baptist Church and to minister the truth of the gospel into the hearts of those that need it. Uh, God is just so good, and he continues to grow us. So uh, without further ado, on the eighth year of New Life Baptist Church, God is going to take us to another place, another step in our ministry. And uh, it is official. We will be moving uh, from this location to a new location location that will officially be ours, our building. We'll be in charge of it. We'll be the only one um, inside that auditorium area. Uh, It is just going to be a wonderful thing, and we're super, super excited about it and uh, looking forward to seeing what God is going to continue to do in that place over the next several years. So here's the plan, and I'll share a little bit more in detail later in the 10 o'clock hour, Uh, but here's the plan. Uh, We'll launch there on April the Second, the first Sunday of April will be our first Sunday in the new location. And uh, I hope that you will be there. It's going to be a great day. The second Sunday following that is Easter. How cool is that to roll Easter in behind uh, the launch of uh, in a new location? And so we're looking forward uh, to God working in a big way. Uh, the first Sunday of March, and Tyler's going to be working diligently with us on this. The first Sunday of March is called Growing Together Sunday. All right? And so I want you to be setting your sights on that special day here in this building uh, on the first Sunday. I think it's March the 5th uh, of of March. And so uh, looking forward to it. Just a great day as we kind of challenge and give direction for the future of New Life Baptist Church. So let's let's look forward to being a part of March the 2nd Growing uh, Together Sunday. All right? If you have any questions or any thoughts like, Pastor, how are we going to move? That's all coming. A lot of that is going to be announced today in the 10 o'clock service that we're going to have uh, after our fellowship time. We're going to come back together and here for about 15, 20 minutes of, of update and, and giving you detailed information about what is to come. So I hope that you'll hang around today uh, for that special time. I'll give you a little more information about that in just a moment. All right, so glad to have you on this uh, eight-year anniversary. And without further ado, let's just dismiss all of our sprouts, kids. You are dismissed this morning. And uh, be praying, if you would, the second service, there have been several uh, people that have committed to be a part of the service who are not saved, who have never accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, and uh, we are wanting God to, j- just to do a, a, just an amazing work in their life. And so um, after this service today, while we're in second service, would you be praying that these people would attend? And then secondly, that they'd hear the truth of the Word of God uh, this morning. And the Lord has given us the opportunity to launch our year um, with, uh, with, with a, a sense of urgency, expectation, and hope. And uh, today's message will be the last message in a series on hope. I was working on one of my cars recently, and I had uh, come to a... A bump in the road, a part of the repair that uh, I was just personally unfamiliar with. And so um, I picked up my phone and and dialed dad and gave him a call. And I turned on the video camera and showed him uh, what I was working on. And I remember in the conversation, he told me exactly what to do. He gave me instruction, he gave me guidance. Uh, He shared exactly what I was to do. And then I said this. Then I had the audacity to say this. Are you sure? (laughs) Upon which Pawpaw replies, if I said it, I'm pretty sure. Okay? I'm pretty sure that's the way it goes. And and I remember at that moment um, thinking, okay, I hope he's right. And guess what? He was, in that particular instance, he was right. Uh, there's not been many times in my conversations with my father where he wasn't, he wasn't right. And uh, he's not flawless. Uh, there have been a couple times where I got to say, aha, I was right. He said, you better write it down, sign it, circle it, because it's probably not gonna happen many uh, two more times. And, uh, and uh, uh, But uh, you, you understand the concept of that. There's gotta be a source. That There's got to be a go-to for hope, right? That there's got to be someone or something that we can reach out to. And I, th- I think it would be wise as we close down uh, this, this thought, this sermon series on the word hope by looking at the greatest example ever. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter number 4. This morning, Matthew chapter number four is where we're gonna to be today. And uh, I hope that your heart is strongly encouraged and helped by the words that God has for us this morning. Matthew chapter number four. This is the story, a word for word, moment by moment account of a conversation between Jesus Christ the God of the universe, and the deceiver named Satan. We can learn much from this story. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And this account gives us that play-by-play of what was happening in the life of Christ at At that moment, what was said, uh, at at that particular instant, what was the response to this onslaught from Satan himself? Um, I've heard people say this, and I want to be careful. I've heard people say, um, you know, Satan is just attacking me right now, as if uh, we are thinking that Satan himself has taken a, a point uh, of all people, of all time, to come down and individually tempt us. Now, um, we think an awful lot of ourselves if we think that Satan is actually the one, because he's not omnipresent Okay, he doesn't know all things at all times, so he's not omniscient. He's not all powerful. And so to think that Satan uh, left some really, really important situations to come down and tempt Mark Hall on a Tuesday afternoon is really thinking highly of ourselves. Okay, the odds of that are very, very slim. But he is the principality in the, uh, of the powers of the air. He is the ruler of darkness. And we live in a culture influenced by that darkness. So to say that we're tempted is, is correct. To, to, to say that we battle uh, with our flesh is true. To say that we're influenced by Satan and his culture would be absolutely right. And so in this story, though, he himself... This angel of darkness, Lucifer, Satan, not with a red tinted body and a long tail with a little sharp point on it. He didn't have little horns sticking off the top of his head. Satan himself and all of his beauty and all of his splendor comes face to face with the Son of God, the Savior of the world, but not at just any moment. Satan attacks Jesus Christ and he comes to tempt him right after he has spent 40 days fasting. He's about to start his earthly ministry. It won't be long after this that some of the things that are more familiar with us will begin to happen, but Satan attacks him right here at this crucial point. And I find it interesting that those influences and our flesh oftentimes attack at crucial points. Of our lives. And he works. He's a deceiver. The Bible says he's a, he's a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. And so I do believe there are times where he does influence and, and, and attack. But, but, but most of all, it's our flesh. The Bible says we're drawn away of our own flesh. And so, so the word of God gives us this, this story here, and I want us to walk through it together. And watch how Jesus Christ reveals the source of hope. Then was Jesus led up of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, Satan does not deal in absolutes. He can't. Absolutes will always destroy the onslaught of Satan. If we lived our lives by absolutes, it would always cancel out sin and elevate righteousness every single time. But Satan doesn't work in absolutes. He works in the realm of doubt. That's where our brains work, in the realm of doubt. And so Satan begins with Jesus himself as the boldness rises up in him as an opportunity, watch, to stop what is about to happen. And so Jesus is having this conversation with Satan. If thou be the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of god the bible has given us an understanding that since the beginning of time since adam and eve were in the garden satan has walked in as a deceiver to cause doubt in one singular thing and that is the word of god our source today of hope is thus saith the Lord. That is all we have to build all of our faith upon is the word of God. Now, when Satan attacks Jesus, he, uh, Jesus immediately, immediately without hesitation reverts to the, to what? Not even, although he is truth, not even his own words, he said, as it is written. And that was his response. So what is he referencing when he says, At, as it is written, he's referencing the book of Deuteronomy. He's referencing something that he is gonna tie in beautifully to what he's going through. See, the children of Israel in the book of Deuteronomy had just been through 40 years where? In the wilderness. Jesus Christ had just fasted 40 days where? In the wilderness. Interesting tie-in, isn't it? Maybe chance or maybe Jesus specifically referring to something. So open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter number eight. Open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter number eight. And we're gonna, we're gonna jump into this text this morning. Deuteronomy chapter number eight. Now, uh, just a little back uh, story to what has taken place here at the moment. In Deuteronomy eight, The children of Israel now have been in the wilderness for 40 years. All of those who were of 40 age and above when the wilderness experience started, God has punished them and said, you will die within this 40-year span, and you will not get to enter into the land of promise. But everyone who is below the age of 40, except for who? Do you remember? Joshua and... Caleb, except for those two below the age of 40, will get to enter into the land of promise because they weren't a part of faithlessness. They were going to see God's faithfulness. Okay. And so now you understand the story. Moses is going to die shortly. And just a bit, he is going to elevate Joshua to the role of leadership among the children of Israel. But now he is standing in front of the people and he is going to speak to them for about a month's time. Uh, Everything you hear is gonna be said at different segments of time over about a month or so before he goes away, views the new promised land from a high point, and then God takes him home. This is where we are. Matter of fact, Deuteronomy 6 is that famous passage. Remember, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And you're gonna teach it to your children and you're gonna talk about it when you're in in the way and when you lie down and when you rise up and you're gonna put it upon the doorpost of your house. And now we're in Deuteronomy chapter 8, and this passage is what Jesus begins to quote, 8 and 6. Okay, so Deuteronomy chapter 8. The Bible says in verse number 1, all the commandments which I command thee this day shall ye observe to do. Why? That ye may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led these 40 years in the wilderness. Why did he lead? Why did he teach? Why did he give? Why did he bless? Notice the next line. This is important. To humble thee. To prove thee. To know what was in thine heart whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. That little verse right there is what God was and is trying to do within the hearts and minds of his people always. Whether it's Adam and Eve, whether it's the children of Israel, or whether it's the church. God's plan from the beginning of time has been, I'm going to speak, I'm going to teach, I'm going to guide, I'm going to lead, I'm going to instruct, and all I want out of you is that you humble yourselves before me, that you prove me right, and that you give me your heart and this is the exact, this is a beautiful parallel story. This parallel story is not just about Jesus giving references to Satan. This is a literal parallel story between what Israel did in response to God and what Jesus Christ himself is going to do in response to his father and his word and himself. Forty years in the wilderness, 40 years in the 40 days in the wilderness, the people of God tested, tempted, and tried to go another way. Jesus Christ tested, tempted, and tried to go away. And then us, are you ready? The Bible says in the book of 1 John, check this out. What a, just so much familiarity. 1 John two sixteen. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Are you going to love me? more than that. Do you see the tie-in? It's always been this way, church. And if there's going to be any hope for you and I to live, it will be the same hope that was found for the children of Israel when God instructed them and for Jesus Christ himself in the wilderness and for us today in our journey. Will we humble ourselves? Will he will we prove him to be true and will we worship him and this is what we're looking at in the passage and watch how Jesus walks us through this in back in Matthew chapter number 4 so go there with me if you would back to Matthew chapter number 4 the source of hope is the word of god every time without fail Pastor, I just don't see any way out of this difficult relationship that I'm in. Are you ready? The source of hope is without doubt the Word of God. Pastor, I don't see any way through this financial battle that I'm going through. The source of hope every single time is the Word of God. Pastor, there's conflict in this relationship between me and this person. I don't see how to navigate the answer Every single time for relationship is the word of God. Pastor, I don't know how to parent these kids. I don't know how to instruct them. The answer every single time is the word of God. I don't know how to be a husband. I don't know how to navigate this. I don't know how to do right and wrong within the confines of my marriage. The answer every single time is the word of God. I'm going through rebellion and I don't know how to get out of it. The answer is every single time the word of God. I don't know how to provide, the answer is the word of God. I don't know how to overcome sin, the answer is the word of God. I don't know how to defeat Satan, you ready? The answer is the word of God. We have God's perfect word and his thoughts that um, give us the instruction and the source of hope for everything we face. And if we fail, if we sin, if we fall, it's because we did not what? We did not follow the word of God. There is nothing greater for a New Life Baptist Church in the day in which we live that we stop following ourselves And that is the message now. Go your way. Live your dream. Do your thing. I'm telling you, for Ray McCormick and for this body of believers, that is not the source of hope. The source of hope is the word of God. Well, I've been offended. The source is the word of God. Well, I'm hurting. The source is the word of God. Well, I'm struggling in my flesh. The source is the word of God. Satan himself attacks Jesus in the wilderness and Jesus could have raised his hill and stomped his head. But the Bible says he had to submit to the word of God, the will of God, the work of God, the ways of God. That's the answer. The word of God. And if we fail, it's because we don't follow the word of God. So watch what happens in the passage when Satan comes to Jesus and he says this. He says, if thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. And what is happening in the passage is this. Jesus was hungry. Satan is appealing to his flesh. You understand that, right? Um, I, I hope that there are spiritual matters that you fast over. I, I, I believe the Bible is right. There are some things that come by prayer and fasting. The move to take another building is a, a big deal. I think it comes by prayer and fasting. Seeing somebody's life changed, if you really wanna impact them, the Bible says some things come by prayer and fasting. If, if, if I need to pray for a brother who has fallen in sin and it doesn't seem like there's hope, something's come by prayer and fasting. We see fasting all throughout the Scripture. This was—it's not as common in the 21st century, but it has been common in almost every church age up till now. And can we define why it's probably not as common today? Because we live in a, such a self-pleasing, self-desiring environment. It doesn't take me 40 days to be tempted to turn rocks into stone. It takes me about four hours. When all of a sudden breakfast hasn't been had and now lunch is rolling around and I've been out of bed for about four hours, five hours, and I know that I'm fasting, oh man, I'm ready to turn anything into a honey bun. Are you with me? My flesh is screaming for that. And then to add another day to that, and then another day to that? Can you imagine adding 40 days to that? Jesus was human. He was flesh. Like, how do I know that? Because Mark chapter 11 gives us a story. Remember the story when Jesus got up from bed one morning and they're walking down the road with the disciples and he sees the fig tree afar off having leaves. What does Jesus say word for word out of his mouth? I am hungry. Look, look guys, there's a fig tree with some leaves on it. Let's let's go pick some figs. Jesus was flesh like me and you. He had hunger pains, 40 days. His, I'm sure his cheeks were a little bit sunken in by now. You've seen people who haven't eaten for that long. I'd say he's a little thinner than he was prior to what he started. Some of us could afford to fast 40 days, amen? We got that camel supply that could just, we could burn for a little while, right? Jesus was probably showing the signs of fasting. He was hungry, And Satan appeals to his flesh. See those stones? Why don't you turn them into bread and eat it? Just warm bread. Satan could have gone a little step further and said, let's let's put a little Kerrygold butter on that bread with some honey. Right? But the Bible says that Jesus responds with a beautiful statement. And by the way, church, can I say this? It's not a sin to be hungry. The sin wasn't to be hungry. The sin wasn't starving. The sin wasn't the the feeling of the flesh at that moment. The sin would have been submitting to the flesh at that moment. And Jesus says, for it is written, and then he quotes a passage of Scripture uh, found in Deuteronomy. And so we just uh, begin to read that, but he he quotes Deuteronomy where he says, man shall not live by bread alone. Go back to Deuteronomy chapter. By the way, keep your finger in both of these passages today because we're going to be going back and forth to them. Deuteronomy chapter number eight again. The Bible says in verse three, let's pick up where we left off, and he humbled thee, and suffered thee to hunger, and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee known that a man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. So Jesus Christ is quoting what Moses told the people underneath the leading of God himself, Hey guys, did I not give you manna? Did you not learn over that 40 year span of time that I can take care of you with my words alone? You didn't labor for that. You didn't crank up the plow. You didn't, you didn't drive the harvest machine. You didn't yoke up the oxen. You didn't do any of that. By my word alone you woke up in the morning and every single day except for the 7th day you woke up and came out to find these honey wafers on the ground. And I gave you not just enough for you, I gave you enough for you and your wife and your children, every one of them in your family. And on the 6th day, I gave you a double portion so that on the 7th day you wouldn't even have to go out and collect it. And you know how that came about? By my by my word. And Jesus responds to Satan himself, and he says this For it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Hey, church, be encouraged. Your source of hope today, your source of sustenance spiritually, your source of survival internally in that inner man is the word of God. It's not our own ways. It's not the things that our flesh can um, comprehend. It is the sweetness that comes from the word of God. Jesus' temptation was real. And Jesus had the power to do what was tempted to do. But the Bible says in Philippians chapter number two, verse seven But he made himself of no reputation. He took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. And being in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. And that is exactly what Jesus is doing it's humility. This is humility. This is how you and I live by the Word of God. It's humbling ourselves. Jesus took Deuteronomy 8 and verse number three, and he said simply this. The word of God is what humbles us. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's what humbles us. How many of you like being told no? Raise your hand. You like being told no? No, you don't. (laughs) She got it. How many of you like, I I should have asked you, I should have asked Mark, right? Does she like being told no? None of us, I don't care who, there's not a single person at some point in your life in this room when you were told no, you were like perfectly and always okay with it. We hate the hand in our chest. And no humbles us. It really does. Or being told what to do. How many of you just love being told what to do? You've got great ideas and you've got great plans and you've got wonderful aspirations and you're just all excited for somebody to tell you to change that and do it a different way. Like, man, that's just, that just thrills my heart when they change it and tell me to do something. No, again, it's, it's our nature to wanna go our own way. It's our nature. So God's word is that item in our life that humbles us. My thoughts are not your thoughts, saith the Lord, neither are your ways my ways. For as high as the heavens are, are my thoughts and my ways. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by The word of God. And at this moment, in the middle of this temptation, here's what Jesus is doing. My sustenance is not by me fulfilling this. My sustenance is the word of God. Remember the story of Jesus and the disciples, and they're making their way, and they get up to Samaria right? Well, first of all, it was a shock that they were going to Samaria, wasn't it? I mean, it's like, why in the world are they going through Samaria? You are Jews. You know you're not even accepted in Samaria. So when they get close to Samaria, Jesus and the disciples split. Remember, Jesus goes one way and the disciples go the other way. Why did the disciples go the other way? Does anybody remember this story? Why did they depart and go the other direction? Loudly. To find food. They were hungry. And so they they split up. Jesus makes his way to the woman at the well. When his disciples question why, why did you not go with us to get something to eat? Do you remember what Jesus says? Jesus said, my meat is to do the will of the father. See, Jesus was so concerned in every area of his life, submitting to the word of God, to the direction of God, to what God was teaching. And so in this moment, God gives us a beautiful lesson from Jesus Jesus himself. If the inner man is going to be made full, it requires the word of God. Church, we've got to get back to this book. We've got to stay in this book. We've got to study this book. This has got to be our manual. Well, what do I mean by that? Um, I think it's so cool that in our discipleship class that we're doing, um, in the back of the discipleship book, um, if you have the continue book and you've taken that course, in the back of that book is an appendix, and in that appendix is uh, topics and verses under the topics. Meaning this, if you're going through depression, you can go to the back of that book, to that appendix, you can look up the word depression, and there's a list of verses about how to overcome depression. If you're going through relationship issues, if you're struggling with lying, if you're struggling with religion, if you're struggling, and there's all kinds of topics, have you ever looked at the words of God like that? Do we reference this book so that our inner man can be fed More than just reading a little excerpt in the morning, is this the source that you go to to find your answers? Is it? It's gotta be. This is how we have hope. Our source for hope is the word of God. Secondly, notice here in the story, Jesus helped Satan to understand that his source of hope is the word of God and that he would humbly submit to the authority of God, recognizing that the eternal benefits far outweigh the temporal moment-by-moment moment benefits, okay? Secondly, Satan's not done. Not only does he um, deal with the lust of the flesh, but now he's going to deal with the lust of the eyes. Look at the text with me. Uh, The Bible says in verse number five, then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him upon a pinnacle of the temple. And basically here's what he says unto him. Put your money where your mouth is. We understand that phrase, right? You, You understand that. Let's see if you really believe what you say you believe. Notice what he says here. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple and saith unto him, if thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. Really? Really? you're now gonna come back and tempt the God of the universe with his own words? You're now gonna take scripture? By the way, just because the Bible is tied to something doesn't mean it's of God. And you need to be sure you understand that. You might be watching a video where scripture is used, but you better be sure that is of God because Satan himself uses the word of God and twists it. He did with Adam and Eve, and he's doing it with Jesus himself right here. He's quoting Psalm 91. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Psalm 91, verse 11 and 12. Psalm 91, verse 11 and 12, Satan himself is now quoting scripture. And matter of fact, he actually references it as so. Satan says, well, you say it's written that man shall not live by the bread alone. But you know what? It's also written, and then he quotes scripture. So you understand what's going on. You got the picture? Here's the passage in Psalm 91, verse 11 and 12. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Go back to the passage in the book of Matthew chapter number four. Listen to what Satan says in comparison. Uh, The Bible says that Satan said, for it is written he shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. So let's do something fun just for the fun of it, can't we? Everybody in the room go to Psalm 91, I mean, 91 verse 11 and 12, and I'm going to read what Satan says. And you see if you can find any discrepancies. Is that easy enough? I'll read what Satan says to Jesus and you look at what God says in his word. Ready? Here we go. Everybody there? Psalms uh, uh, 91, verse 11 and 12. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee and in their hands they shall bear thee up lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against a stone. What's missing? Really loud? In all thy ways. Satan's good, by the way, and that's why we have to be careful in the day that we live concerning the Word of God, because God has given it to us one way, and Satan loves to remove things, or he loves to add things. And so we have to be very wise when we're looking at truth, that we understand, thus saith the Lord. And in this passage, something happens. Satan removes a part of it. So basically what is happening in the text, Satan is literally doing this. Put your money where your mouth is. You know that it's written. You just said that every man's going to live by the word of God. And so cast yourself down off this high pinnacle, and the word of God will call angels, like he said, and they will pick thee up unless thou dash thy foot against a stone. Wow. What did God say through Moses to the children of Israel? I left you in the wilderness, number one, number one, so that you would know my word, that you would humble yourself. But number two, that you would prove, prove. This is, this is what has is happened in the text. The same co- the th- thing we're seeing here in Scripture, this idea of, Satan trying to force God's hand. No, what forces God's hand is not to make him do it. Hey, God, I'm going to jump in front of this train. We'll see if Tim's safety measures really work when I do. (laughs) Okay, all right? And so we jump in front of the train and we're run over and we're like, in heaven, God, did you not say you would take care of me? No, you forced my hand. It wasn't my will. Here's a good illustration of that. It would be like you um, saying this, and and, and I thought this was was so interesting. It it would be like you um, speeding and running through a stoplight to prove that your seatbelt and your airbags work. Like you know what, I'm just going to prove that they work, and you know, I'm just going to trust God that He can take my stupidity and bring uh, His promises to life. And so, I'm just going to ride through this stoplight. I'm going to I'm going to prove that my airbags and seatbelt works. So you're going to sin by speeding. You're going to sin by disobeying the light that is above you just to prove a promise. And this is what Satan's doing. Satan is basically saying this in order to prove God's faithful, go against his will. And Satan says, He'll command his angels to give charge of thee. His own word says it so. And that is not how the child of God lives, and it's not how Jesus responded. Notice what Jesus says in the Word of God. Jesus' response to this whole deal was found in uh, verse number 7 of, Deut- uh, excuse me, of Matthew chapter 4. Jesus said unto him, it is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Church, it's not our responsibility to tempt him. It's our responsibility to prove him good by trusting him. By doing exactly what God has commanded for our life. By the way, the parallel passage to this one is the same thing. Jesus is quoting scripture. Go with me to Deuteronomy chapter number 6 and verse 16. Moses has just given the people charge that they should love the Lord their God with all their heart, their soul, and their mind, and you're gonna teach it to your family, and then you're gonna follow me, and notice what he says in verse number 16. Ye shall not tempt the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 6, 16. As ye tempted him in Massah ye shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes, which he hath commanded thee. You're gonna trust him. And what's Masa? Well, that's the story of when the children of Israel demanded of God, what did you do? Bring us out of Egypt to die of thirst here in the wilderness. Give us water. It's almost like saying, we could have survived out of your will there. And so we're going to force your hand now. Instead of saying, God, you know we're thirsty. You know that it's dry here. You know it's hot in this wilderness. And if you can bring us through the Red Sea, and if you can bring us out of that captivity, then, Lord, you can give us water, and you can give us bread, and I'll wait on your will and your timing." And so many of us lose a source of hope when we step outside of the will of God. And I, I, I don't like the phrase, force his hand, but that is the understanding. That is not what we do. God is sovereign. He's in charge of all things. He knew that you were going to step outside of his will. And he has orchestrated his plan, not around your bad decisions, but knowing your bad decisions. We serve an amazing God. And the best thing we can do if we're gonna have hope is to live within his will. God, what is your will for me today? God, what are the steps you want me to take right now? Hey, teenagers that are in the room, don't force the hand of God to bring punishment upon you. Follow the will of God now. What is the will of God for you right now as a young person? And that is to submit to God and to submit to your parents and the authorities that are over you at this stage of life so that you can hear Him in the future. Don't don't live outside of that. To hurry something up. Can you imagine if Jesus had flung Himself down? We would not have had the cross. Satan's trying to do everything he can to make his way where we go away from the cross, from trusting Jesus Christ. Jesus responds, it is written. Watch what Satan does the third time. Notice what he says here in the passage. The Bible says, and again, verse number eight of chapter number four of Matthew, again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And saith unto him, all these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, get hence, thee hence, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. For it is written, thou shalt not worship, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Oh, I love that reply. Listen, church, please. Our hope, the source of our hope is in the word of God. For it is written, for it is written, for it is written. Our source of hope is the will of God. God has a plan for your life. And I know sometimes it looks like God's not taking care of us. Satan was even trying to, to prove to Jesus that, man, God, God knows you're hungry and he hadn't fed you with bread. And, 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 and God, God can take care of you and, and catch you if you, no, 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 no. I'm going to do all the will of God. And, and, and he's trying to convince us that there's hope outside of these things, but thirdly, there's hope in the worship of God. The only way you and I have hope is if God is at the center of my worship. Because what I show value to is what I worship. And that's what he's doing upon the pinnacle. Hey, come with me up here. I, I, I would have loved to have been there for that conversation as Jesus stood on the high pinnacles. And the Bible says that Satan expressly identifies and then gives the benefits to all the kingdoms. And he's probably over here. You see, you see Rome? Wow, look at the glory of that. Come over here, look at this one. Come on. You see that one over there? Oh, look at the power of Egypt. I'm not done. Check that one out there. You see that one? I've been given the authority to give all this to you if you'll worship me. It's amazing, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and then the pride of life. What keeps us from enjoying God's hope is because we worship other gods. Correct? Hey, by the way, Is that not what happened to the children of Israel? Did they not lose the hope that God had promised them because they what? Worshipped other gods. And Jesus quotes scripture once again. And he says this, Deuteronomy chapter eight, we see once again, actually 624, it's where he, um, he, he quotes here, I'm sorry, 613. I have so many references here. He says, Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him and shalt swear by his name. You will not serve any other gods. I want to be the single focal point of your worship. Am I worthy of your life? Am I worthy of your faith? Am I worthy of your trust? Well, Pastor Ray, I do worship. Every time I come into church on Sunday, we start singing, I enter into worship. That's not worship. That's not worship. Meaning, can it be a part of worship? Yes, it can, but that's not the essence of worship. The essence of worship is when I devote all my value and all my attention onto one. And Jesus Christ did this. The Bible says that he replies, thou shalt fear the Lord thy God. That is what is said in scripture. That means you should reverence the Lord thy God and serve him. And notice how he compares that in the passage in Matthew chapter 4. Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God. And him him only, him only, him only shalt thou serve. What you worship reveals what you hope in well, pastor, I, I would love to do this more, but 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 I know that if I don't do this, then I'm not going to make it. And I, pastor, I know I should do, I, I, I'm just, just conversations that I've heard. I, I know I ought to do that, but, and, and I know God says to do that, and I know God says I should trust him in that, but, you know, you know, this is really important, and I got to be sure that I and those things become our gods because they're controlling our decision-making. And therefore, we, we all of a sudden go from a life of trust and hope, knowing God can provide to, boy, I hope what I'm doing is going to work out. How many, of, how many of us have said that? Boy, I hope what I'm doing is going to work out. Man, I hope this plays out. Okay, what kind of hope are you referencing? Because if you are walking in the truth of the word of God, then your hope is settled. But if you're doing anything outside of that and showing value to something else, then of course you're wondering if it's gonna work out. And what God is doing in this passage is showing us a beautiful parallel to Deuteronomy chapter number eight, where he said, you know what? There's three things I wanna see. So go back to Deuteronomy eight with me one more time. Deuteronomy chapter number eight and verse number two. Watch, this is so amazing how these two stories, that they're interwoven in so many different ways. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee. And what's the third thing? And to know what is in thine heart. These 40 years have been a time for me to to see if, if I am the center focal point of your heart. Because you're about to go into the land of giants, and there were some big walls there, and there were some big people there, and there were some big kingdoms there. And so they walk in, they cross the Jordan River. If you thought the Red Sea was was amazing, the Jordan River crossing was really, really amazing. See, see, the Red Sea was a big ocean, but it's just a, a still body of water, and God raised up both sides. The Bible says they walked through seeing walls of water upon dry ground, but the same miracle is going to happen with, with a group of people who now are putting God at the center focal point of their heart, and it's not some sandy beach leading to the shore, but it's a raging Jordan River. And the Bible says, unlike Moses, remember Moses' story? Jesus took the rod, and, and, and he, I mean, God took the, told, told Moses to take the rod and to lay it down, and then it broke it open, and they saw it, not with the Jordan. The priests had to put the ark of God upon their shoulders. And the Bible said, when your toe touches the bank, then I will raise back a, a way to cross. So, so you see the difference? That Those faithless children of Israel who were so concerned about themselves and God was on that early stage of proving who he was, told Moses to lay that rod down. The Red Sea opens up. There's this path down the middle, but not so, not so now because now it's going to be a test of where their heart really is. Do you believe in me even though you haven't seen it yet? Then your priest will pick up the ark of God. Remember, it had rods. And now they've got the ark of God upon their shoulders and they're walking one step at a time toward a raging, flowing, dirty, muddy Jordan River. I'm super excited. We were just given a month ago a trip to Israel and we're going with Tucson Baptist Church and I'm just on cloud nine to walk where these people walk to see the stories of Jesus come to life. I've just, I've always dreamed of going. And now it's coming to fruition. And I'm not even just excited about talking about the story because I've heard of guys who have gone and they went to the bank of the Jordan and tried to explain this same story of how they walked toward that river and the water's still moving. And it wasn't until they put their foot down into that bank and the water hit their feet that God took that raging river and rolled it up And caused them to cross that river on dry ground. He now knows where their heart's at. You trust me without seeing. You show me worship when you obey my commandments and you walk toward the sea and you put, I mean, the river and you put that foot in the ground because it was a drop off. It's Jordan. I mean, how are you going to know even where you're stepping? You ever done that? You ever put your foot, I mean, y'all don't do that a lot here. I'm sorry. I'm not picking on you, but we in the south do that a lot when we cross muddy creek banks and put our feet down and try to find where the sturdy ground is down there before we commit to it. This is amazing. Worship. God, I trust you. You're worthy of my life. You're worthy of of everything, and I give you reverence and honor and glory and praise. And this is what Jesus was saying in this passage. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Jesus is sitting on that high spot, and here's what he says No, Satan, I will not look outward. I will look upward. I'm not necessarily trying to tie in a tagline, but show us a truth line. Jesus said, I will not look outward. No man can serve two masters. There's only one master. There's only one God, and that's who I worship. In church, as we Start 23. It's already started, man. This year is not only started, it is wide open. It's crazy. We have hope. And our source of hope, please, our source of hope is this book. May everyone in this room, kids and adults alike, find their source of hope in this book. Go to it. Go to it. Go to it. The response of every child of God in every battle should be, for it is written in every circumstance, for it is written, God's given us hope and we can trust in his will that he will take care of us in his timing and in his way. He has not left us nor forsaken us and he is worthy to be worshiped. Our hope is an upward, an upward look. Don't look at the waves look at the Word of God, the will of God, the worship of God as our hope in 2023. Father, we need you. We need you today.
0: We want to thank you for joining us on the NLBC Podcast today. We hope that God will allow this message to truly make a difference in your life. As you learn more about Him and as you study His Word, we pray that it will cause you to live out the gospel in a whole new way. Again, if you would like to connect with us, feel free to reach out by visiting our website at newlifecasagrande.com. If you are local to the Casa Grande area, then we would love to have you join us in person. We have services at 8.30 and 11 a.m. each Sunday morning with a host of other opportunities to develop a godly community to learn and to grow. We'll see you next week on the New Life Baptist Church podcast.